some people have a hard time admitting that to themselves, like listening to that inner mm. voice that's sometimes just whispering because it's like, this could change my entire life. Because I think the stakes are pretty high at midlife. We're, we're pretty settled into, at this point, whether it's career, relationship, you know, parenting, taking care of elders, mortgages, like whatever that is, that groove is pretty well carved by the time we hit 40 that it's like, this could disrupt everything and rock the boat if I listen to whatever that whisper is. Hello, you are listening to the Late Bloomer Living podcast, where we are reimagining and redefining what it means to be in midlife, where we are gathering energy, momentum, and excitement for our next chapter via candid conversations with other midlifers about their own pivots, pitfalls, and triumphs. I'm Yvonne Marchese, your host, and I'm so happy you're here. Adulting can be hard, but you don't have to go it alone. I created this podcast to give you inspiration and let you know you're not alone in feeling stuck in midlife. Both men and women are welcome here, but if you are a woman, I also invite you to join our Midlife Uprising community for women, where we're making waves and reimagining what it means to age. Being part of this community for women will remind you on a regular basis that you're not too old and it's never too late to do that thing you've been thinking about. You can find more information at latebloomerliving.com forward slash community, and I hope to see you there. Hello, my friend. Whenever you finally get a moment to yourself and it's quiet, and you decide to leave your phone in your pocket, do you ever hear a whisper from deep inside you? It happened to me when I started taking time in the mornings to meditate. As I was approaching the big 5-0, I also did a lot of journaling. Those whispers that I heard eventually turned into a louder voice in my head that kept telling me I needed to start a podcast. In fact, next week, I'll be celebrating three years as a podcaster. We've all heard of the midlife crisis, but one of the reasons I started this podcast is because I no longer believe midlife is a crisis, and I want to spread that message as far and wide as I can. Things happen in midlife, sure. We may not like all the things that happen, but I have come to think of this time in our lives as an awakening, as an opportunity. My guest likes to call it a midlife emergence. I think she's spot on. My guest today is Jem Berlingo. She's a midlife coach, a licensed professional counselor in the state of Colorado, a nationally registered art therapist, and a master level Reiki practitioner. After two decades of guiding hundreds of women through life's major transitions and experiencing her own passage through a fiery midlife portal, she was inspired to step back from her work as a therapist and become a life coach. She was also inspired to write a book titled Midlife Emergence, Free Your Inner Fire. She's here today to talk about her journey to becoming a life coach and author. So without further ado, here's Jen Berlingo. Let's go. Hey, Jen. Thanks so much for being with me today. Hi, Yvonne. Good to be here. 
I am so excited to talk to you. I have questions. Yes. I, <laughs> I hope I, I have answers. <laughs> <laughs> so you used to be a practicing psychotherapist and you are now, you flipped that a little bit to mm-hmm. becoming a coach and you've written a book. And I yes. want to hear what prompted you, like what was, I'm assuming there's a pain point in there somewhere. Cause usually there is when a change like that happens. So I'd love to know what prompted you to switch gears and what sure. made you feel like a book was in you that needed to come out. Hmm. Since I was a little kid, I wanted to write a book and I know that I wasn't ever sure exactly what that would be. I've been a psychotherapist and an art therapist for a couple decades. And I thought maybe I would write a book along those lines. That's a personal growth type book, but it just wasn't throughout my thirties. It didn't come to fruition. And when I entered my forties, I'm 47 now, a whole lot of different parts of my life were shifting. And there were so many different parts of me that felt like they weren't being expressed. They felt invisible around in my career, in my sexuality, in my relationship um, to my ex-husband, who was my husband at the time. So a lot of things, a lot of different factors in my life were feeling like they were just burning inside. And there was like this longing and this yearning, and I couldn't quite put my finger on what it was. Actually, 42 is when astrologers call the midlife, like what we would call the midlife crisis, they call the Uranus opposition. So there's this astrological name for it. But basically what it means is anything you've repressed or held down or that is unexpressed is just begging to be unearthed. And it can, you can feel the rumblings of that for a couple of years on either side of that transition time. But I remember just feeling the peak of that happening for me then. And in regards to the career part of that, like what you asked about, I was in private practice um, as a psychotherapist and I was working with women during transitional times, their life, I had been doing that for quite a while. And it felt like there was something else in me or another way I wanted to bring myself more forward in the therapeutic relationships. And I ended up pausing my private practice and going to this program. It was like a four month sort of women's circle slash ceremony type of program in Boulder, Colorado, which is where I live now at the time that I was in the San Francisco Bay area. And it was called courting your medicine. And it was about like, what is your purpose? What is yours to do? And it was, you know, it's a question we all ask so much, but really in that summer program, I, I came for four, four day weekends over that, over that summer and started to really focus on how to recognize what it was uniquely mine to offer. What my medicine is, is what they were calling it in the program how we can't not be that in the world and how to really bring that forward in a different way. So I began to think about how I wanted to be of service in a, in a different way and in a way that felt more authentic to me. And then after that, I ended up moving to Boulder, back to Boulder, which you know is where I am now and where I had gone to graduate school in my 20s. So when I moved back, I decided to change my practice and to pivot to a coaching model rather than psychotherapy model. And that really started to kick up a lot more when the pandemic hit in 2020 because I could no longer have a private practice where you know clients were coming in to see me. So really working remotely and working remotely with people all over the world rather than just in my home state, which is what happens when you have a counseling license, you work with clients only in your state. But as a coach, you can work with people 
you know, anywhere. So that felt really expansive to me and offered like a wider reach and a type of work just feels more congruent with who I am. Yeah. That's a long answer. (laughs) Yeah. So when you moved from the Bay Area to Boulder, did you have to change your license as a psychotherapist? Did you make that shift and then decided to go in the direction of coaching? Yes. I was already thinking about coaching, but um, yes, because the counseling license are governed by each state. I had a license in California And when I moved to Boulder, I had to get the license in Colorado. And so I did that. And I still hold the LPC, Licensed Professional Counselor, license for Colorado, but I don't actively use it as such. I'm only offering my services as a midlife coach now. Yeah. Yeah. And your book, let's talk about what was the inspiration for for getting the book out in the world? Yeah, it was around very early 2020, right before pandemic time, I was participating in a project on Instagram. I love being on Instagram because it's visual. I'm an artist and I like to curate my feed for a lot of inspiration. And there's this project on there called the 100 Day Project. I just completed my ninth year of it. But at the time, I think I was in my sixth year of doing that project where you commit to something creative for 100 days. And this is around the time that a lot of things were stirring up in my my personal life and my world. Um, my marriage and my career, all of that. And I was feeling a lot of change coming on. And I created that project that year and I called it 100 Days of Midlife Emergence. You give your project a title. And I began to write these snippets with a piece of art every day, these snippets of like different parts of me that were emerging in midlife. And I was sharing that and getting a lot of great feedback. People would comment or send me DMs like, oh my gosh, me too. And they were very like, raw, vulnerable, messy sort of posts that were really honest. And I felt free to do them, freer to do them because I wasn't a psychotherapist anymore. And then I, you know, loved having like feedback from all different kinds of people who were relating to what I was writing and saying me too, or I thought it was only one, or can I connect with you around this? I have some questions and it was nice to be reaching people. And I also got comments like, this should be a book. I would read this as a book. And I was like, maybe this is the book. So I started to organize those little snippets of writing into a program that I love to use called Scrivener because you can like basically write a book out of sequence. And so I put a lot of them in there and I started to see these themes emerge and kind of massaged it and reorganized it into what became the 13 chapters of my book, Midlife Emergence, which really goes through 13 kind of themes that we encounter during midlife, the ones that are more universal, like feelings rather than a chronological, how to get through, you know, a midlife transition. It's not, it's not linear. Unfortunately, it's, you know, but everyone has their own path, but I wanted to identify these mileposts sort of. And in doing so, I, I told it as my story. So I wrote, it's called a teaching memoir. So it's a memoir of my entrance into this midlife passage, which is how I view the decade of the 40s as like the sort of waiting room or this opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. Between the first act and the second act of life where you can create what you want the second act to be. So it is a memoir, but it's a teaching memoir because I also weave in different teachings from all kinds of things that I've done in terms of being a therapist, being a coach, being an energy worker, Reiki master, being an art therapist. So I have different prompts, journaling prompts, art prompts, these ceremony, personal ritual kind of prompts at the end of each chapter to help the reader 
through their own midlife transition. Hey, we're going to take a quick break here because I want to let you know that this podcast episode is brought to you by Midlife Cues. Are you looking to live life more intentionally and grow personally as you get older? The Midlife Cues newsletter is the perfect solution for you. Every Sunday, you can open up your email to find a weekly newsletter filled with carefully researched resources and tools to help you live your best life. It's written and published by Lou Blazer, who left a successful career in corporate America and now focuses on helping midlifers be truly happy and feel fulfilled in the second half of their lives. You can subscribe today at midlifecues.com. Are you comfortable talking a little bit about moving from your marriage and moving away from that marriage and what was sure. going on for you there? Sure. Yeah. Because I um, think that's a, something that a lot of people experience. I mean, women in midlife tend to initiate divorce more. Is that yeah. statistically correct? Right. Yeah. I have found that as well. And yeah, so my, my ex-husband, Craig, he's still my best friend. Um, we had a, a very loving divorce. We were together for 21 years, married for 17. We have a 16 year old. And for me, when we met, I knew I was queer in the sense of knowing that I was also attracted to women, but I had been dating men, um, mostly out of this compulsory heterosexuality that, you know, really our generation uh, and ones before it really played into our, like, we're, I don't know, I want to say victim too, in a way, but I want to not use that word. Um, but basically, that's the idea that um, in a patriarchal society, we expect everyone to be heterosexual. It's like you're straight until you say otherwise, right? So mm -hmm. growing up and being, you know, asked like, oh, do you have a little boyfriend? And, you know, just that, that normative. Um, it's just an assumption of what is it, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's an assumption that heterosexuality is the norm. And really, so I didn't know uh, growing up in the 70s, 80s, that like queer love was an option. I didn't really have models for that, but I knew I was attracted to girls and then women. And so the, when I met my husband, I told him that we were, you know, when we were friends and he was like, oh yeah, pretty much everyone I've dated is bisexual. And <laughs> like, cool. And then we ended up dating and ended up getting married and it didn't, wasn't really an issue until it was. So around this time in my early forties, I began to feel this pain of invisibility around the fullness of my sexuality queer femme invisibility is a term that is out there that I definitely identify with, like as a feminine presenting person who was married to a man, there was always the assumption that I'm a heterosexual and that, you know, that like my mom would say, you know, I, I told my mom in my twenties and she would be like, Oh, well, good thing that you have Craig and that's not an issue. And it's like, Oh, it's just very minimizing and wow. it felt yeah. really um, invisible to me. So that feeling became louder. Like as my kid got older, I felt like getting through that early motherhood part, sort of the keeping my head down and really the first mm -hmm. 10 years of like parenting, I felt like I was it really, hole, it really right? does feel like that. Yes. Yeah. And then Speaking it was like, as a mom of, a teen, of teenagers now. Yes. <laughs> yes <laughs> I can relate. Right? Um, I felt like my sex, my sex drive and sexuality, that was all coming back online, but in a way that was way more focused on women. 
And so I started to talk with Craig about that. Um, we were always really open about all of those things. And he was like, okay, we'll work this out. We'll figure, we'll figure out how, how this can happen. Um, and we thought we could be creative with it and be like, okay, maybe ethical non-monogamy is a route to take, maybe open relationship. We researched all of that. It was not a light decision. <laughs> we um, went to a couples counselor who specializes in ethical non-monogamy. And after a couple of years, really, of just theoretically looking into that and thinking about that, I did begin, begin to date a woman and realized pretty quickly that that relationship structure, while completely valid and wonderful for so many people, isn't one that worked necessarily for me, my nervous system, my attachment style or his. And we were yeah. like, this isn't what we want our marriage to look like. Um, we need to take on a new form for our relationship. So we're still, you know, we love each other very much. We're co-parents um, and our family just has a different shape. And it's like ah, this way of honoring the wedding vows that we took back in 2003 of like really allowing each other to be the fullest and freest expressions of ourselves, and this was a way to honor that was to get divorced and to let each other be our more full free expressions of self so wow i am blown away happening. by by the love the loving nature of what you've just described happened between the two of you that's amazing that you guys were mm -hmm. able to navigate it in the way that you have been able to congratulations Thanks on Yvonne. that Thank you. Yeah, it's been um, a tremendous, like, heart expanding feeling and a learning experience and not without a ton of grief, really to like let go of a very comfortable, very safe, secure, familiar, loving, beautiful life to step into something unknown, um, something where there's this seductive pull of like mystery and growth and whatever it is I'm moving into, but really not know what form that's going to take. And we never really do. Right. But it, it had no socially sanctioned path, <laughs> you know? So it's like, oh my gosh, you know, this, this risk, but it felt like there was no choice. Once that ball was rolling, it's like, I need to actually not abandon myself here and really honor what the truth is that is coming up in me. There wasn't like the option for me of putting it all away and stuffing things down and then pretending there's so much damage done when we do that to ourselves right i'm looking yes. at you know the email that you sent me and something really struck me in in what you originally sent me you said midlife doesn't need to be a crisis or an emergency rather it's an emergence which I totally agree with, by the way. And then yeah. you went on to say it's an opportunity to make those beautiful, unexpressed facets shamelessly visible. It empowers the recovering good girl to take courageous steps towards full integrity in the second half of life. And I see you in that. And uh, that is why I do this podcast. Oh my gosh, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to cry. But um, that is what I think is possible for all of us is to emerge shamelessly into who we are becoming. Yes, I. that's exactly why I wrote this book and why I do the work that I do. Most of my clients are recovering good girls like me, recovering people pleasers. They've done all the right things. They've done all of the things that people say that they should want, you know, and 
you know, then I have clients sit across from me who are still dissatisfied and aren't quite able to feel like, well, what is it that I'm yearning for? There's this like longing or this burning. Some people know exactly what it is. Some people have a hard time admitting that to themselves, like listening to that mm. inner voice that's sometimes just whispering because it's like, this could change my entire life. Because I think the stakes are pretty high at midlife. We're, we're pretty settled into at this point, whether it's career, relationship, you know, parenting, taking care of elders, mortgages, like whatever that is, that groove is pretty well carved by the time we hit 40 that it's like, this could disrupt everything and rock the boat if I listen to whatever that whisper is. So it was important for me. My book opens with me admitting to myself what it is that needed to change. And it's like, so painful, but impossible to ignore once that's there. It's like, okay, what are, what's the next small step I could take that doesn't blow up my entire life and really pacing my way through that. And I love working with people to do that as well. Just like, okay, what's the small thing? Like you, maybe you tell one safe person, you, you know, and for each person it looks different. And I feel like midlife doesn't have to be this, um, you don't have to blow up everything and start fresh. I happened to make a lot of changes in a lot of different areas of my life in midlife, but I have people who come to me and say like, I really love my life. I don't want to change everything, but there's this thing, right? Like, yes, and it can be it one can, little shift. Um, it totally can. It's yeah. different for everybody. And I, yeah, I just feel like we don't have a lot of roadmaps or cheerleaders who help us to really unfurl and unfold into these more expansive more self-aligned ways of being in the world. It's like the roles that we've taken on or what people expect us to be. Let's just keep doing that, you know? It's like the devil you know or the devil you don't know, right? And we so often <laughs> right. want to stick with the devil we know because the the mm -hmm. alternatives are overwhelming and scary. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they are. And there's such opportunity in it. I mean, it's so scary and it's so exciting in a way to really move toward and and like lean into what the mystery is and letting that mystery kind of teach us. And yeah. I love li living a mystery led life in, in a way like that. And it's hard to let go of like safety, security, familiarity, like homeostasis that, you know, we've created and like live in, even if it's not the most healthy one. So I really like the reframe of midlife crisis as an emergence because that word really means to reveal what's been previously concealed and mm -hmm. to become more visible in it. And that's what resonated for me as I entered midlife. I love that term as well. I usually use awakening as mm -hmm. my replacement for crisis, because I do think that there's, you know, we have an opportunity to get back in touch with those things that we've stuffed down in a way uh, yeah. to get through the day-to-day, -day, you know, of, of existence of just mm -hmm. going to work and getting the things done and ne what next check off the to-do list. And, you know, and you tend to just keep moving forward, keep marching forward, go, go, go. And, and then there's no time to check in with yourself to, to get curious. I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like curiosity is the key to everything. I uh, too. Yeah. Yeah. To yeah. Be yeah to be like open and have like a humble curiosity about about everything and to like 
what you're speaking to is that, you know, feeling of autopilot and the busyness, which I think is really encouraged in our culture. It's like, you're just going to hustle, keep hustling and doing all the things. And it really puts us to sleep to what our own internal needs and our own inner voice is. And so that's really why I do the work that I do. I love to invite people into just this pause and listening. And it's like, slowing down enough to really hear your inner thoughts, to take a breath, a lot can come up and it can be scary when it's not held in a safe container and with a witness to really help, you know, through what does come up and, and how, and if to act upon that, or if there are changes that need to be made, it just feels like an opportunity to mindfully architect the second act of life to be what it is that we really want to be growing into who we want to become. Yeah. If you had one um, Mm. suggestion for somebody who's feeling those rumblings of mm, uh, the, the, I like to call it like that little sand, you know, the oyster that turns into the pearl. Mm. So, so that little itchy sandy feeling of like, uh, I don't know what's going on here, but something's not right. Um, What would you suggest to somebody who's just in that? I don't know phase. Yeah. Um, for me, I'm such a journaler and a writer. So I, I go to that um, and making art, but I go to that first. And when I was going through this, um, I used a writing prompt with myself that I feel I, it's actually the first chapter of my book, the first prompts that are in there um, include this, but it's like, writing this down, even if you have to do it on a page that you burn later, because you don't want anyone to see it or write an invisible ink, whatever it is. But I feel like it's helpful to like, get it out there and externalized on the page outside of yourself. Um, But asking yourself the question, like, what is it that you've been secretly mulling over? It's maybe it's a job, maybe it's a move, a relationship, some longing, and to bring that into your mind and heart. And then what are the words that you hear being whispered or shouted from within and write those down and then doing this, like keep going deeper into it. Um, And the question that I really love in this, that I always ask myself, like, what am I not saying even still, what am I not writing down? Because Mm -hmm. that tends to be what is longing to be unearthed. Um, And you already know what it is, but it's like, once you sort of see it outside of yourself on the page and can relate to it. Um, Like I said, you can destroy it if you need to. But like, for me, I think that is what, um, what really helped. And I was going through that process alongside a lot of um, other changes. And I think once I, once I did that, I was ready to um, tell one other safe person, which ended up being my husband, uh, Craig, and just really not feeling alone in it. So also having like after that, perhaps a safe place um, and a safe person to talk with, whether that's someone in your life who already is with you and loves you or an objective uh, person like a therapist or a coach um, or someone who can just be with you in it in a confidential sort of way. Yeah. Wow. I love that prompt. I love everything about what you just said. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm I'm struck mm. with the courage that it must have taken for you to go through through this process and uh just want to acknowledge that you know Thank you. whatever that's worth. Thank you. Yeah, it does feel yeah, it feels 
like it did take a lot of fortitude to kind of get through that and the word courage I'm kind of a word nerd <laughs> writer but I recently learned that it means like cur is um heart I think it's like a French root but it means like heart rage <laughs> and that's how oh wow, <laughs> felt, wow. right it's like but rage as in like um passion yeah and that that energy we get around that and that is such a a great for me description of what I was feeling at the time. That's why the subtitle of my book is "Free or Inner Fire." It felt like this fiery rumbling, and I use a lot of volcano sort of metaphors in my book of like this magma sort of brewing inside that hadn't like seen the light of day or been you know exploding and destroying the whole village. <laughs> um, I didn't want all of that to happen, but I really was trying to tend to that inner fire and let it kind of come out in a way that was more of a slow burn and not a destructive explosion, but heart rage feels like it courage. It feels like it's one of the, one of the things to muster, I think, to get through any type of transition, especially one where you might be going against the grain mm, yeah, or what's expected. Yeah. Wow. I'm just so glad to get your, this out into the world because I hope that somebody who needs to hear this, hears this at the right point in time. Mm. Thank you, Yvonne. Me too. It's like what I have to remember. I have such a vulnerability hangover after, <laughs> you know, my book hit the shelves. <laughs> like, wow, why did I write all this down? It's very personal and very revealing. And I try to write it in a way, you know, with care to those I love, because when you write something that is memoir, it really involves your closest circle of people because <laughs> yeah. they're in your life. And so you know, trying to write it from a, a stance of, I don't know, being as honest and raw with the mess of it all as I could, not polished. It, I wrote it as I went through it, not as a like, ta-da, here's the outcome and it's packaged in a bow. Like it's not because I think that we're so quick to do that, especially like on social media. It's like we show all of these polished moments and life is anything but polished. And especially during transition, it's like, gosh, the overused metaphor of the caterpillar turning into the butterfly, you know, but in the chrysalis, the caterpillar becomes absolute goo. It's like Liquid, right? Isn't it crazy? Like I remember the first time I heard that I was like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. Right? You think that the caterpillar is just going to be the body that grows the wings, but no, it just completely decomposes. And I feel like this book is like letting someone watch the complete decomposition through the, you know, like having my chrysalis. So why did you have vulnerability so, hangover? I don't get it. So what? why? I don't know. That's but the that's problem. What, <laughs> I know it's terrifying. And I have to remind myself why I did it. And it's really like to encourage other people and inspire other people to do the same thing, not the same path I took necessarily, but to be honest about what it is that they're carrying, what that pain point is and what, it's so that there isn't shame around it. And I wrote, I have a quote on my wall from Lizzie Rusinko, and it's actually in the very beginning of my book. And I had it framed and it sat beside me the whole time I wrote the book. And it says, the story you're ashamed to tell is the one that will set you free. Mm. And so yes. that's about my, right by my desk here. And it carried me through like, okay, I feel like in modeling that and in just saying the things that I don't want to necessarily be saying I'm not like the hero in my book at all in my own life and my story but I, it is very human and I want to have those really real and deep conversations and connections with other people I feel like that's what we're here for and I want to invite that 
And so when I get the vulnerability hangover, I have to remind myself that like, there's a reason behind, behind why I published it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, good on you. So what is coming up for you that you are excited about? What's, what's new? Um, Yeah, I'm very excited. This summer, I am rolling out a few guided but self-paced online programs that really dive deeper into different themes that might be arising for people in midlife, themes that I hear readers from my book responding and asking more about and clients in my midlife coaching practice. So I have three of these coming out. One is called Queer Emergence, and it's around questioning sexuality later in life and overturning and unpacking compulsory heterosexuality and just really trying to align with one's true sexuality. Because I think that that is, that's a piece of my book that a lot of people relate to. And I've been having a lot of conversations around. So I wanted to offer that. I also, so I'm doing three. So there's queer emergence, there's soul emergence, which is really around purpose and what will leave you with no regrets. Like that part of midlife where Eric Erickson and developmental psychology talks about like stagnation versus generativity. Like what's the generativity What are you here to uniquely offer to the world? So that's soul emergence. And then the third one is witch emergence, really around finding your power and your magic. And that's a piece that we haven't talked about here, but I weave through the book just around that idea of like the witch wound and the fear of being like burned at the stake for living a more unconventional or subversive type of life, not the good girl uh, life. So there's those three programs coming out that are guided by being but self self-paced and then in September I'm going to offer a midlife emergence group guidance program which is a group coaching program that's live with me and I also offer one-to-one midlife coaching to individual clients so I have a few different types of packages all of that's on my website jenberlingo.com and yeah I'm continuing to just create more and more things I'm an artist so I'm always wanting to create, not just with writing, but you know, the cover of my book's actually my art. So I'm also doing a lot of different visual creations and offerings too that are coming up. So yeah, you can find all of that on my website or Instagram. I hang out there the most because I'm visual and I like it as a platform. So I post there every day. My handle's just my name, Jen Berlingo on there. Fantastic. And I will have links to the things in the show notes for anybody who's listening, driving right now, can't get to it. It's all good. Go to the show notes and we'll have you there. And my book is out too. I meant to say, yeah. And it's available anywhere you buy books online. And that's Midlife Emergence, Free Your Inner Fire, right? Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. Awesome. Well, I'm just so thrilled to have been able to have you on today. Thank you so, so much. Oh, thank you too, Yvonne. It's been great. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and your listeners. So thank you. Well, there you have it. I'm going to go back for a minute to repeat that thing that Jen wrote to me in her email. She said, midlife doesn't need to be a crisis or an emergency. Rather, it's an emergence. It's an opportunity to make those beautiful unexpressed facets shamelessly visible. It empowers the recovering good girl to take courageous steps towards full integrity in the second half of life. I would expand that also to include the good boy. (laughs) You know, people have a hard time listening to that inner voice. 
It sometimes is just whispering because of the the scary possibility of changing up your entire life. The stakes are high and it's scary to rock the boat. But at what cost do we hang on to the status quo? For how long can we bury our true selves before it starts to back up on us and become a health issue? If you want more information about Jen Berlingo or want to get a copy of her book, you can find a link to her website in the show notes at Late Bloomer Living. You can just go to latebloomerliving.com and look for episode 146. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you have a fantastic week. Stay safe and well. Talk soon.